Comprehensive, relevant, and insightful conversations about health and medicine happen here on MedStar Health Doc Talk. You're listening to MedStar Health Doc Talk, real conversations with physician experts from around the largest healthcare system in the Maryland, D.C. region. Prevention is the best medicine, but the key to effectively treating any cancer is diagnosing it as early as possible. There are critically important reasons that for some, getting that diagnosis has a higher probability than for others. Today, we're talking with medical oncologist and breast cancer specialist, Dr. Shweta Korean, about the high-risk cancer clinic available here at MedStar Health. I'm your host, Mike Shu. Welcome to Doc Talk, and thank you for being with us, doctor. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you, and thank you for having me. Oh, our pleasure. Thank you. So before we get to the high-risk clinic itself, uh, I want to talk about just what it means to be a high-risk patient. So when we say high risk, it obviously means that patients have a higher risk in comparison to general population in terms of developing a breast cancer. So there are different ways of calculating it for different women. Um, when you come in, I think it's dependent on a lot of factors. But when you put everything together, if it gives a number that says the number is high when you compare it to general population, you're considered high risk. And then once we know you're high risk, we talk about what steps we can take to decrease that risk, to bring it to the general population level so you don't develop breast cancer. You know, with some medical problems, people can already kind of tell they may be high risk. Maybe they're they're overweight or they have some other factors that are just obvious to them and so they feel they may be a risk. When we're talking about this, is there does the woman necessarily know ahead of time that they're high risk or or is that something that they, they really do need to be evaluated to determine that? So some of the things I think are a little more um, something people know, and others are not as clear to them. So if you have a family history of breast cancer, someone in the family, like your sister, your mother, develop breast cancer, or a male family member, like your father, your brother, develop breast cancer, you certainly have a higher risk category then. You need to discuss that with your primary physician, or you need to discuss that with your OB or GYN because they are the first line of discussion you have as a physician. The other factors that factor in in, des- in deciding whether you are high risk is when did your period start? Was it early? When did you have menopause? Was it late? Were you exposed to any kind of hormones during your uh, you know, days when you were Uh, like oral contraceptive pills, or if you got hormone replacement therapy after menopause. Those are some of the factors that increase your risk for developing breast cancer. What else plays is not just history of close family members, which I said first degree relatives, but family history in terms of was there any history of cancer in your grandfather, your grandmother, your cousins. Not all cancers are making you high risk for breast cancer, But that is something that you need to bring it to your caring physician, telling them, hey, this is my history. Do you think anything of this could contribute to increasing my risk for breast cancer? So it sounds to me like the the patient needs to do some research before they hit the door. 
because I, I, I'm she, everybody has a different memory for what's going on in their family or whether they need to make some phone calls. So that would be extremely helpful. Yeah. So I think one thing that all women need to remember is if they have a history of breast cancer in their family that they know of in their first degree relatives, that's the first place to start with. That you need to discuss that with your primary care physician and say, hey, I'm 25 now, but my mom had breast cancer at age 45. What is, you know, am I high risk? Generally, the discussion starts at about 35 or so for most women. But if you have family members who have multiple or multiple family members with breast cancer or colon cancer or prostate cancer, then yes, that discussion needs to happen. Well, and then I know, I happen to know some people who have uh, small families, so they don't have this sort of wealth of data to draw from. So uh, I'll give an example that, let's say the grandmother has had, the grandmother on both sides has had, breast cancer. Does that mean that the daughter and then her daughter should be... So then they will factor in other factors when they calculate, they they could calculate a score and that factors in what is the age of the person. The older the woman gets, the risk increases naturally and it factors in, have they had a mammogram? Does that mammogram show a breast density which is higher than normal? When was your first period? Were you very young when you had your first period? Or you were older? So those factors are put in into an equation. Sometimes it's called a Gale risk. One of them is a Tarakusic risk, and it gives a score. The Gale risk is any time the score is above 1.7%, which is the regular score for normal general population. We start looking into, okay, can we talk about ways to decrease that risk? And that's when other methods of decreasing the risk come into the picture. But it's not just one factor. It's, I think it's about knowing your history and being cognizant of the fact that some of the things are there in the family and some are your factors that can, when put together, give a, give a number or assign a number to you saying, okay, this is now falling into a high-risk category and we need to address it. So having that discussion, it's hard for a general population or a regular person to know everything. Oh, I did this, I did that, and this is what is happening, so my score is going to be high. But no, I think it's a, it's a conversation that happens with your physician who can then help calculate that risk. And many women, I would say, you know, all women 40 and over should be going for their mammograms. When you go for a mammogram, most places now are having this discussion where they calculate the risk. They actually ask you, when was your last mammogram? When was your last period when you started? And they are able to identify some of the patients who are considered high risk. And we at High Risk Clinic are then, those patients are sent to us because this has happened much earlier, you know, not just with their primary care physician, even when they go in for a mammogram, this has been discussed with them and somebody has been found with a high risk and referred to a high-risk clinic. So I'm going to get to high-risk clinic in a minute, but, but when should the women start sort of collecting this data about themselves and their relatives? I think every time you go to your primary care physician or every time you, you if you have someone with a history of breast cancer in your family, I think that's when the discussion has to happen with your physician about, hey, by the way, just want to bring this up that I have a family member and when you do the high-risk screening, is it all question and answer based or, or are there 
tests and other things that you're doing, you know, like blood tests that also contribute into that score? So it's not a blood test, but if you are a woman who's had a biopsy of the breast, which has shown on pathology certain very typical high-risk features, you are considered high-risk. One of them is atypical ductal hyperplasia or atypical hyperplasia. So when your normal breast tissue divides and increases, it's called hyperplasia. That means it's increasing for some reason, that the cells is increasing or changing. But when it's not the typical hyperplasia and you see atypical, that means they're seeing some changes that don't happen in the normal world and they're looking different uh, in certain ways which the pathologist identifies, then we know we're already seeing changes if left untreated over time could have a cumulative effect. That means they collect and collect and collect. And lo and behold, after a few years, that changes into a cancer. So those women are identified at the time of a biopsy, but no blood test. So the value of a mammogram, um, I'm sure most women know this, but since I'm not a woman, I get to ask the question. You were saying oh, at age 40 and over, that yeah. should be mandatory every it's, year? It's recommended, yes, generally every year. But, so, you know, the... We recommend as patients need to have mammograms done every year starting age 40. Age 40. Yep. And then how often is a breast cancer detected through a mammogram when no other symptoms or signs are? Oh, a lot blocked. of times. A yeah. lot of times. And that's why, you know, it's a screening test, as they say. Right. Um, all women are detected mostly by mammograms. So as a journalist, I mean, I'd heard anecdotal evidence from the women in my life about they're not too thrilled about going to get a mammogram, and I never understood why until a couple of years ago I saw the machine and was described to me sort of yeah. how it all happened, and then it all clicked in, and I'm like, yes. oh, I see why this could be uncomfortable. That's correct. What do you say to women who are, you know, they, they, they do not like the comfort level is it like a sort of eat your vegetables thing? I'm sorry, but you do have to do this? You know, we try to explain. I mean, as a woman, I know myself. I've done mammograms. I understand how uncomfortable they are. But I also treat patients with breast cancer. I know how uncomfortable it is to treat a breast cancer and to live with that cancer hanging on your head all your life that this thing happened. Or seeing patients who didn't do a mammogram and then finally felt something which was much larger and bigger and took a lot more effort to take care of going through chemo. Things which could be managed with just a small, tiny procedure has now got to go through a huge surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, medications to take for a long time. So what is more painful? A mammogram, which gets over in 10 minutes, 15 minutes of that discomfort or a lifetime of agony beyond when you get a diagnosis of a big, large cancer. It goes from being something which is routine to a change in lifestyle. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so high-risk clinic, we talked about it for a second here. Tell me about well, what is a high-risk clinic. So patients who are identified to have a high risk, we were talking about how a family history or some changes in the breast tissue or depending on some of your uh, life things. Mm -hmm. menopause or manarchy or how many kids you had, how long you breastfed them, all these things can add to identifying someone being high risk. Now, these patients, um, the, we calculate a score. One of them is Gale score. The other one is Tarakuzic. Right. Basically, putting all these things in these scores and trying to identify what your number comes to. If you have a Gale score above 1.7%, you have a higher risk 
you know, the general population is 0.8. Anytime it hits 1.7, you know your risk is higher and we can do something to bring that risk down. So those are the patients who are being referred to high-risk clinic. Also, let's say there are multiple family members with history of breast cancer and now you got genetic testing done and you were found to have a genetic mutation that increases your risk for breast cancer, like the BRCA mutation, you're referred to the breast uh, high-risk sure. clinic for... Uh, for the recommendations. And then is the high-risk clinic um, an idea, a procedure, or a place? It's a place. It's a physical office where we see patients who are referred with uh, a diagnosis of high-risk. Now, if it is just for um, high-risk because Gale's score is elevated, we do something called chemo prevention. That means we're trying to prevent you from getting chemo and decreasing your risk. We could talk about medications, uh, which decrease your risk. Well, they are medications that decrease estrogen in your body. It um, could be tamoxifen or anastrozole. Um, or we could, in that scenario, you meet with me and you meet with other people who could discuss the same thing with you. If you have a genetic mutation or we think you have higher risk because there is family history of lots of different types of cancers or breast cancer where we think you're high risk, you will meet with a genetic counselor and you will meet with a medical oncologist or a breast surgeon or breast uh, oncologist like me to discuss what next steps to do. So we touch on that uh, genetic testing, and I think you're you're talking in, in in down that line, which is at a certain point it makes sense for some people to get the genetic testing. Who should do that, and then what is the benefit of having those results? So genetic testing generally, you will meet with a genetic counselor who goes in extensive detail about your history from both sides of the family. You are talking, um, you know, they, they will make a whole uh, a diagram about on the mother's side, how many people, on the father's side, how many people, what type of cancer, and then they decide whether you have truly have a risk or not. So people who currently, I will say, if I give you an example, a woman who develops breast cancer at age 40 or below, or some of the cancer even, you know, age 60 or below, depending the type of cancer, they will be tested for genetic testing. Or let's say you have uh, uncles and aunts who had breast cancer and multiple family members on the same side of the family had breast cancer or colon cancer or prostate cancer. They then start forming a group which falls under a, a, a type of a genetic cancer syndrome. And we start identifying, okay, it looks like there might be a mutation driving different type of cancer in this family. And then we say, okay, a genetic testing is recommended here but to use the phrase genetic testing it's it's when i hear the word test i'm thinking that someone's going to you know take a little sample of me and send it off somewhere and they're going to you know do mm -hmm. magic and i'm going to get a report that way genetic testing in this sense really means genetic questioning so this is questioning but once they determine you have a a, a likelihood of having a genetic mutation they send a panel out to okay. test so then a the little piece of me is, is tested in some way and the results that's make sense correct. to that's the correct. genetic tester and the doctor that is correct i mean it make any sense to you but, <laughs> right but, they, no, but they, yes or to the patient rather yes but then that is sent out yes but you you, you want to pre-narrow it with your exactly. questioning to figure out uh, which one exactly well that makes a lot of um sense and then the, the type of people who should get this, the testing, is based upon what they know of their relatives. That's correct. But I'm thinking that a lot of people, I don't know, I mean, you asked me my relatives what they had, and I'm, I'm going to shrug my shoulders. So, Yeah, no, it's, it's, I can't say everything is very easy. So, And I think most people 
if they have a very stark family history, it will tell them or they would know, okay, this one had right. breast cancer, right. this one had breast cancer, this one had breast cancer. They're all on the same side of the family. So if you come in and say, my sister had breast cancer and I'm coming, you're coming in with a, with a, breast, with a diagnosis of breast cancer, I'm like, okay, now there are two people in the family or two second-degree relatives with a history of breast cancer, like your aunt or your grandmother had breast cancer. Then I'm starting to say, okay, now there are two people in the family. Their, your risk is high. We start having a discussion about were there other family members who had it? Are there other cancers in the family? Um, and then you, you spoke a bit about um, some of the drugs that might be given to people who are high risk. And I just want to clarify that, that, that sometimes that treatment is given prior to the discovery of any sort of mass or it is preventative. That's correct. That's yeah. why we say chemo prevention. So the idea is to prevent you from getting chemotherapy. So when you find some high-risk lesions or if your score is high, which tells me that you are higher risk in comparison to another person who has lower risk, what can I do to bring that risk down? So there are medications which can help that risk come down. Now, I, the belief is it's the estrogen, is the female hormone that's making this constant growth and changes. It's a normal hormone. It does what it does. But as, as changes keep mounting and keep accumulating, it leads to changes which can then go into another direction of cancer formation. Now, can you give a break from that constant estrogen exposure is what you try to do and then decrease the risk down. And then some women are so high risk, they choose to have their breasts removed. It, that's relatively uncommon? That's So re genetic testing is the one that drives what uh, whether we recommend having both the breasts removed. So if you are someone who has a BRCA mutation, BRCA1 or BRCA2, the risk of developing breast cancer is very high. It's 80% over your lifetime. Right. So that it's no, then it's not a question of if, if it's when. And right. so... What, do a you, what a difficult decision absolutely. to have to make. And I, I have such empathy for the... Yeah, and, and it's like, you know, the woman has to plan for having her babies during a certain time because the time is ticking. Beyond age 40, the risk starts increasing. So, you know, it's a discussion that starts happening much earlier. And that's why, you know, so we have started understanding genetics more so now. And so the discussion, so I think there are a lot of women who have been tested family members that get tested because one family member got tested. So I think we're slowly building a net where people are feeling more comfortable and more knowledgeable about how this impacts their health. Going forward, it'll be a lot easier discussion with people, but now it's explaining and getting putting a, this, this whole puzzle mm -hmm. together where it's just one piece you identify and then you try to build up the whole picture saying, okay, so many people, so many things, this is what you do. But coming back to breast cancer and bilateral mastectomies or removing both the breasts, certain cancers do place you at very high risk for breast cancer, and we do recommend them removing both the breasts. So I've heard that some people don't necessarily want to find out that they're high risk. Is that something you run into, and what are your thoughts on that? Yes, we do, because it's not easy to come to terms that you are going to have a condition you have to live with long-term, and you may pass it down to your next generation if it is a genetic mutation. So we've, we, we do come across patients who don't feel comfortable going through genetic testing or going through uh, any other procedure. So then the discussion is, 
how can we manage or how can we continue monitoring so we identify something quicker, faster, so we don't wait four years out before you feel a big, huge lump. So discussions are about healthy lifestyle, no smoking, decreasing alcohol intake, the eating fresh vegetables, um, cutting down on processed meat. Um, all the good stuff. All the good stuff. Yeah. And then maintaining a healthy weight, being active, exercising, regular mammograms, regular exams. Once a month, female, a, a woman examines herself. And because you know your body the best, you know, physicians see you once every six months. Yes, we, we examine a lot, but you know your body best, so examining once a month. And, uh, you know, just being, just being monitored more closely if you decide not to go for these measures. So does being a cancer survivor automatically make you a high-risk patient? That's true, it does. Cancer of any kind? or, or it's For breast cancer, it makes you high-risk, and that's why we always monitor you with you know regular mammograms and uh, MRIs that happen at certain times. So yes, you are higher-risk because it, you've already proven that something changed. And we, if we think estrogen is a hormone that's working on your breast, it doesn't work in one area. It works on the whole breast. So the changes that happen sure. could have happened other places, just that we haven't, you know, not, there's no way to quantify or measure the change that has happened. So I understand this idea called comprehensive care. What does that mean in your world? Comprehensive means you come to the high-risk clinic and the genetic counselor is right there. Uh, medical oncologist, that is me, is right there to talk to you about measures to decrease your risk. We have uh, ways to get your um, mammograms done very quickly, but it's, it's the uh, complete knowledge of what your ancestry your whole body and yourself means in terms of your risk for breast cancer. So when you come in, that is discussed altogether. Well, thank you for your work. It sounds fascinating, and I love that you're, you know, affecting people's lives. And Yeah, I'm glad to be doing that. Thank you. And thanks to you, hematologist Dr. Shweta Kurian, medical oncologist and breast cancer specialist at MedStar Health. If you are looking for preventative peace of mind, call 443-777-6725 to discuss your options. That's 443-777-6725.